ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the last lesson you will remember we had arrived at the section regarding wudu how a person is supposed to make wudu properly according to the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and we were in the opening sections regarding the wudu and we had started discussing the hadith where Uthman radiyallahu anhu showed how to make the wudu and so it is mentioned that he had asked for a bucket of water to be brought to him and the first thing that he did in terms of the actual washing was to wash his hands three times and that at the beginning of the wudu is a sunnah action and we'll get to that in a bit more detail soon inshallah then after that it mentioned the madhmalah the istinshaq and the istinthar the madhmalah that is placing the water into the mouth gargling it and removing it and as for the istinshaq it is to suck the water up into the nose and then istinthar is to blow out that nose blow out the water that you sucked up into the nose that is istinfar then after that it mentions thumma ghasala yadahu al-yumna ila al-mirfaq thalatha marrat that after washing his hands three times and then doing the madmada and the istinshaq and the face after that he then washed his right hand his right arm up to the elbow because in the arabic language the word yadun yad can be anything all the way up to your shoulder all of that can linguistically and technically be referred to as the yad it is not just the hand as we think of the hand in arabic the word yad can be anywhere up to the shoulder so here it mentions ghasala yadahu al-yumna ila al-mirfaq highlighting up to where it is supposed to be washed and that is up to and including the elbow 
And then the left one exactly the same up to and including the elbow. Here there is a very common mistake that many people make. So far we've mentioned at the beginning he washed his hands. Then after that his face, madmada istinshaq. Then after that, we are now on the part of washing the right arm up to the elbow and the left arm up to the elbow. When people get to this part, they think that you only have to wash from the wrist up to the elbow. They pour the water on typically like that and it goes on to the arm, the forearm up to the wrist, up to the elbow. Meaning they don't actually wash the hand because they think they already washed it at the beginning. When you start wudu, you wash your hands at the beginning. Then you do the face and the madmada and the istinshaq, the mouth, the nose, and then you get to your arms. So now people, when they get to their arms, they're only washing from their wrists up to their elbows. And they don't actually do their hands again because they think they've already done the hands at the beginning. And that is a mistake. When you wash your arms now, you are supposed to do all of the hand included up to the elbow. Why though? If you already did wash your hands at the beginning, then why is it obligatory to have the hands included now in this part? Because when you washed your hands at the beginning, that initial washing is only a sunnah. The obligation comes now. This is now the obligatory washing. So you must include the hands at this stage. The water onto the hands and then upwards including the elbow. Then the water on the left hand and upwards up to the elbow. If a person doesn't wash his hands at this stage and only does upwards from his wrist up to his elbow, then technically he has not made wudu. He's missed out his hands because the beginning of the wudu, that doesn't count as your hands in terms of the obligation. The beginning is a sunnah washing of the hands. Now in this part, after you've done the face, in this part is the obligatory washing of the hands. So it is important to recognize that many people have the habit or the style you are taught when you are children that you get the water and then flick it, get the water and flick it onto your arm and then they do all of the arm up to the elbow, meaning most of the hand didn't get anything on it. And that is incorrect. The hand must be washed alongside the arm up to the elbow and including the elbow. Then, After that, it mentions he then wiped on his head. 
So with the head, washing is not required. Wiping is required. Amalan biqawlihi ta'ala and that is upon enacting the statement of Allah in the Quran and wipe upon your heads as for the method of wiping then the the details and the breakdown there are differences between the scholars the general method of course is that with your wet hands with the fresh wet water that you start from the forehead, the top of the forehead, where the hair starts, the hairline, and you take your hands all the way down to where the hairline ends, the nape of the neck, the nape of the neck, at the back of the neck. And then you bring your hands all the way back forward to the top of the forehead once again. That's the general method of wiping, but then the details are differed over between the scholars in terms of, for example, how much of the head do you have to make contact with water for it to count? There are some opinions that as long as even four fingers worth, that much space on your head, you wipe it, the wiping is done. Others, they say, no, it must be the majority of the head at least for the wiping to count. Some of them even mention uh, less than four fingers worth, that it can be a certain number of hairs as long as they get wet, then the wiping counts. But generally, then it is that you wipe all the way to the back and bring it all the way to the front, and a person who does that, then certainly your wiping is sufficient and counts. And this is only done once. Because if you repeat the wiping twice and three times, then it's no longer wiping. You're going to end up basically washing the head. If you do it once and get water and do it again and get water and do it again, wiping two or three times, you're going to end up wetting the whole of the head like washing it. And the purpose is not to wash the head, it is to wipe the head. And then... After that, it mentions the washing of the feet, and that is the final part of the wudu, and that is the same, that the right foot is washed, all of it up to and including the ankle, and then the left foot is washed up to and including the ankle. What if somebody did the left foot first and then the right foot? We mentioned it last time, would the wudu still be valid? Or have they gone wrong now, they have to do the wudu again? If somebody washed the left foot first and then the right one. The wudu is still valid. The wudu is still correct. If a person did the left arm first and then the right one, and they ended up doing the left foot first and then the right one, the wudu would still be valid. But it's in opposition to the method of the sunnah. The sunnah is to begin with the right sides first, and then the left side. Just like even when you do the ghusl, sunnah to do the right side of the body first, and then the left side. 
But if a person didn't do that and did it in some other order, as long as it's all done, then it's valid, even if it was left first and right second. Then there are some ahadith also, which talk about some of the other issues related to wudu, and we'll mention these briefly just to include them within your notes and to have a more comprehensive understanding of the fiqh of wudu. One of them we mentioned it last time briefly also, the hadith of Abu Hurairah, رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا استيقظ أحدكم من منامه فليستنفر ثلاثا فإن الشيطان يبيت على خيشومه This hadith gives us another sunnah to implement and this sunnah is about a person when he wakes up from sleeping and it is not just the light sleep or a nap during the day a proper sleep and that is the sleep of the night typically when a person wakes up from that proper sleep or the sleep of the night then you should blow out your nose three times Get some water and blow out your nose three times when you wake up. That is a sunnah to be done generally outside of the wudu. Doesn't necessitate that you make wudu when you wake up. You may wake up at a time when there is no prayer yet. But this is a sunnah to be done for the nose to be blown out. And the hadith explains the reason why. فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانِ يَبِيتُ عَلَىٰ Because the shaitan sleeps upon the nostrils of an individual. The shaitan sleeps upon the nostrils of an individual. That is in reference to the, the shayateen of the jinn. Uh, the shaitan sleeps upon the nostrils of an individual. So for that reason it is mentioned in this hadith that a person when he wakes up from sleeping he should cleanse his nose and blow out his nose three times uh, due to the shaitan having slept upon that location of that individual. Then also Anabi Hurairata radiyallahu anhu qal قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا استيقظ أحدكم من نومه فلا يغمس يده في الإناء حتى يغسلها ثلاثا فإنه لا يدري أين باتت يده Another sunnah is that when a person wakes up from sleeping then you are supposed to wash your hands three times before dipping them into any bowl of water. When a person wakes up, for example, at Fajr time, and you want to now make wudu, and particularly in the olden days, no running water or taps, the water would be in some type of bowl in the home. So now when you wake up, it mentions, do not dip your hands into the bowl straight away. 
Rather, pour some water out and wash your hands three times first. Then you can start dipping your hands into the bowl. And the reason mentioned for that in the hadith is, فَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَا يَدْرِي أَيْنَ بَاتَتْ يَدُهُ Because you do not know where your hand slept at night. Meaning whilst you are asleep at night, you do not know where your hand was. Perhaps your hand was in contact with your private areas whilst you were asleep and you do not know. And some impurity may be upon it and you do not know. And as a consequence, the hadith says when you wake up, then wash your hands first before dipping them into any water or into any bowl. Another hadith here, all of these connected to various aspects of wudu or parts of the wudu and sunnas of it. In this hadith of Laqeet ibn Sabirah, radiyallahu anhu, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Asbighil wudu, perfect your wudu. And this is from the sunnah actions of wudu. That a person when he makes wudu, you are supposed to perfect your wudu. Meaning every part, wash it carefully, fulfill it, the right, fulfill the right of every part. Make sure the water goes on to all the areas. Do not leave anything untouched and dry. Perfect your wudu properly. And then, خَلِّلْ بَيْنَ الْأَصَابِعِ And this is another sunnah within the wudu, that when you are washing your hands and your feet, that in order to make sure that the water gets everywhere, you are supposed to run your fingers through one another. Run your fingers through the fingers and through the toes to make sure that the water gets in between and makes contact with every area of the hands and the feet. And also, بَالِغْ And when you suck up the water to blow out your nose, then suck it up properly. Except, Unless you are fasting. Because when you are fasting, if you suck it up all the way, there is a risk you may swallow something. But otherwise, if you're not fasting, when you do that, you're supposed to suck it up properly to the top of the nose. Some of the scholars have mentioned, I think, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan, that some people, when they make wudu, they barely just sniff the water. They barely just sniff the water just to the edge of the nose and then blow out again. Rather, the sunnah method is to suck it up properly into the nose and then to blow it out properly, all of that, not just to slightly suck it to the edge of the nose and out again. The water never even got halfway in your nose. That is incorrect. The proper method is to take the water up properly into the nose and then to blow it all out again. Also, from the hadith of Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu, from the sunnah actions and the methods of making wudu, 
أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يخلل لحيته في الوضوء that the Prophet ﷺ used to run his fingers through his beard when making the wudu. He would run his fingers through the beard when making the wudu. This now has some de- uh, uh, detail to it. Because the method that you make wudu differs depending on the size of your beard and the thickness of your beard. A person who has a light beard makes wudu slightly differently when it comes to the beard compared to someone who has a thick beard. And what's the difference between the light beard and the thick beard? It's not about the length. It's about... But the definition, what's the difference in the definition between a light beard and a beard which is kathifa, a thick beard? You can see the skin. The skin. If a person has a beard that is very light and you can see all of their skin through the beard. Some people have very light hairs. Very uh, light hairs, not many hairs. And you can see their skin all the way through their hairs. That person, when you wash the face, you're supposed to fully wash over the beard area. Because it's a very light beard, very few hairs, all the skin can be seen through it. So in that case, when you wash your face, you wash right over all of the beard properly. But if you have a thick beard, i.e. a beard where the skin cannot be seen, It is a thick beard and the skin cannot be seen through it. Then in that case, you are not required to wash all of it. You are simply required to run your fingers over it. A thick beard where the skin cannot be seen through it, you wash all of the face and run the fingers over it. But if it's a light beard, few hairs or light hairs, thin hairs, all of the skin can be seen through your beard, then in that case you don't just wipe, you actually wash all of the face through with the beard included. Because it's as though it's as though your face is visible and the beard isn't actually covering that area of your face, it's visible. So it takes the ruling of the rest of the face improperly washing that area. But if the beard is covering that area of the face, it's a thick beard. Now then in that case you don't need to try and get under to wash all of it. You simply wash the face and then run the water over the remainder. Al-Sheikh Al-Fawzan says here, لِأَنَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ كَانَ ذَا لِحْيَةٍ كَثِيفًا The hadith says the messenger used to just run his fingers through, which indicates that his beard was a thick beard. تَمْلَأُ بَيْنَ مَا بَيْنَ مَنْ كِبَيْهِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ and the beard of the Prophet ﷺ, it was a thick beard such that it was to the width of his shoulders. A thick beard which would come out and it was to the width of his shoulders. Thick beard. And kana ida tawadha So when he would make wudu, he would just run his fingers through it. 
فدل هذا على مشروعية تخليل اللحية بالماء كما تخلل الأصابع So this indicates if you have a thick beard you simply run the water through it run your fingers through it not actually try to wash it all run the fingers through it just like you run your fingers through the other fingers and you run your fingers through the toes you run your fingers through the beard also with the water if it is a thick beard بمعنى أنه يدخل أصبعه مبلولة بالماء من خلال الشعر حتى يدخل الماء إلى باطنها meaning that with your wet fingers you run them through the beard so that the water gets inside your wet fingers you run them through the beard so that the water gets into the inside that's for the one with a thick beard أما غصل ظاهر اللحية الكثيفة فهو واجب وفرق so with the thick beard, the surface of it, you have to get the water onto it. You wash your face and the surface of it, the water has to go onto the surface of the beard. That is an obligation. لأنها من الوجه وهي داخلة في قوله تعالى فاغسلوا وجوهكم أما تخليل داخلها فهذا مستحب وليس بواجب. So if you have a thick beard where your skin cannot be seen, when you wash your face, then the water, you must run it over the top of the beard. The water must be run over the top of the beard completely. But then running your fingers into the beard is an additional sunnah. Running your hands into the beard is an additional sunnah, but running the water over the surface of all of your beard is a requirement. That's for the one with a thick beard. Al-Kathifa Al-Lati Yura Al-Jilt Min Zahiriha Fadalla Hadha Al-Hadith Ala Takhleel Al-Lihya Bilma Ba'da Ghasli Zahiriha Wadalla Ala Mas'ala Muhimma Wahiya Anna I'ifa'u Al-Lihya Min Sunan Al-Anbiya Alayhi Musalatu Wassalam So but before that, in fact, إذا كانت اللحية خفيفة فإنه يجب غسل ظاهرها وباطنها. And the other one then, if your beard is light, then it's not just a case of running the water over the surface. You actually have to fully wash that area because your beard is so light anyway, all of your skin is visible anyway. Then you wash your face, you properly wash all of that area too. But with the thick beard, you don't need to wash it all and get the whole beard wet. The top of it must all become wet. And then sunnah to run your fingers. Just run them through as a sunnah also. And the shaykh says this highlights the sunnah of the prophets and messengers. Which is to allow the beards to grow. As it mentions in many of the hadith. That the sunnah of the prophets and messengers is to allow the beards to grow. And it is not as some people have understood that you can uh, cut them down to some of them even very low levels. Uh, In some of the books of fiqh they mention certain things. But those are often weak opinions. Like the opinion that if you're standing at a certain distance from someone... 
I don't remember the exact distance they mention in the books of some of uh, the fiqh. But they say if you look at a person from a certain distance, if you can see the beard on his face, then that counts as a beard. But that's a very weak opinion. Because even a bit of stubble, someone who hasn't shaved for two or three days, if they stood 10, 20, 30 meters away, you'll recognize that this person has something on his face. So that is not the, the stronger opinions. The correct opinion without a doubt is that a person must allow his beard to grow. And then there are some opinions or there is an opinion about cutting it after one fistful. That when you have a fistful, then the remainder beyond the fistful can be cut. But any opinions going less than a fistful then you are into the realms of the weak opinions. And they are not opinions that are strong or that have evidence that clearly backs them up. The fistful is the minimum you're going to get to and even that opinion has a lot of opposition to it. And there's a lot that can be said even about the opinion of cutting after a fistful because it's only noted from the companion uh, that they did it after Hajj, but it's never noted that it was ever done any other time besides that. After Hajj, we know that when you finish Hajj or Umrah, that you shave your head. And so then it's mentioned about some of the companions cutting their beard after a fistful. But there's a lot of discussion over that opinion too. The correct and overwhelming opinion is that the beard is to be left to grow. The beard is left to grow. But this opinion, as I mentioned to some brothers the other day, it is of course unusual to some people. It is unusual in certain countries and certain places. And I was recently in another country abroad and walking down the street with my thobe and my beard, not going anywhere, it was with me, walking down the street and a taxi driver in this foreign country, and it's a Muslim country, a taxi driver going past at 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, put his brakes on and stopped, reversed, and called me over. And I don't speak the language of this particular country. And he called me over and he started talking and I didn't understand, of course, but then with some sign language he started saying, Muslim! Muslim? I said, yes, Muslim. I'm Muslim. He said, but this, I mean, I understood from our sign language and broken words here and there. He said, this, this is Christian, Christian monk, monk. The monks, they grow their beards like this. Muslim? Muslim? Mm, cut, cut, Muslim. The Christian, the, the Rahban, they, they grow the beard. He was telling me the monks... This is what's known in their country, that the Christian monks, they grow their beards and the Muslims, they all cut their beards and trim their beards. He was saying, Muslim, Muslim, cut, cut, Muslim. This Christian, Christian. So this is the affair in some places, perhaps the Sunnah has become lost or it has become misunderstood and they don't recognize that this is the way that the prophets and messengers, they let their beards grow. And you look at the examples in the biographies of the Salaf and their physical descriptions and it's mentioned about their beards and the sizes of their beards so this is what's mentioned in many of the ahadith 
I'fa means to let it go, to leave it, to let it grow. That is I'fa ul-lihya. And that's what's mentioned in the majority of the narrations. The word I'fa. And the word I'fa meaning to let, let it go, to let it grow, to leave it be. And that is the, the sunnah that is mentioned. Then after that, a few more examples of some of the sunnahs of wudu here. An Abdullah ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam utiya bi thuluthay muddin faja'ala yadluku dhira'ay. This hadith indicates how much water the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to use when making wudu. مقدار الماء الذي كان يتوضأ به. So how much water did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to use? Look at these measurements. It says in the hadith, ثلثي مد. Two thirds of a mud. The Prophet used to use two thirds of a Mud. What is a mud? Al-mud rub'u Remember these words here? The mud is a quarter of a swa'. And what is a swa'? In the, the chapter of zakat, you come across the swa'. The swa' is four handfuls so like a saw of rice fill up my two hands put them together my two palms in the bag of rice that's one fill it up again that's two fill it up again that's three fill it up again that's four i now have one saw of rice that is a saw four Handfuls. فيملأ الكفين المجموعتين الممدودتين. Filling up your two palms together, that is one mud, and that then requires four of them to make one sar. But look at what the narration said here. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to make wudu. Only used to use thuluthay mud. One mud of water is if I put my two hands together and you fill them up with water, how much water am I carrying there? One mud. Two hands together, fill it up with water, I'm carrying one mud. The Prophet used to make wudu with just. 66% of that, two-thirds of that mud. So now put my hands together, start filling it up. Don't fill it up fully. Go up to half and then just a bit more than a half, two-thirds of my handful. Not a full handful, two-thirds of my handful only. That would be enough to make the whole wudu. Two-thirds of a handful, you're talking that bottom part of the bottle. This is what, 500 mil? 
So two thirds is going to be what? Maybe a hundred mil? Maybe a hundred mil. This is 500 down to there, that bottom part of the bottle. If that's what you had, you could make wudu with all of that. That a hundred mil at the bottom. And it's definitely possible. In Hajj, there have been instances we have ourselves experienced where we have a hundred mil only. And you have to make wudu with it. Because what people don't understand is wudu does not mean you have to open the tap and pour the water on and pour it on. People use probably a liter, two liters for making their wudu and there is no requirement for that. The requirement is to get water onto those body parts. The requirement is not to make water flow off those body parts. It is simply to get water onto those body parts. And so you could get a tiny bit of water and you could do all of your arm, another tiny bit of water and rub it all on the other arm, a tiny bit of water, rub it all over the face. You've got water all over that area, all over that area. So here then, it mentions just two thirds of a handful, not even a full handful two-thirds of a handful, and the Prophet ﷺ would make wudu with that. The Shaykh says, وَهَذَا مَا No doubt, that is a very small amount of water. وَمَعَ ذَلِكَ اكْتَفَى بِهِ النَّبِي And despite that, it is obviously a very small amount of water, but despite that, that much, the Messenger ﷺ would suffice with it and make wudu. This therefore indicates that the sunnah is to be very economical with your water usage when making wudu. It is not correct. People turn on the tap and it flows and flows and flows and by the time you finish making wudu, perhaps four or five or six liters of water have flowed out of the tap. A very small amount is needed and wastage of the water is not correct for a person to do. Further to that, and that is the minimum. It doesn't mean that the messenger always used to make wudu with just that amount. But the minimum that has been narrated is that amount. That there were times when the messenger made wudu with just that amount. And in other times he may have used a bit more than that. But this is the minimum amount that is narrated that he could and did make wudu with. وَأَكْثَرْ مَا رُوِيَ فِي مِقْدَارِ وُضُوئِهِ أَنَّهُ كَانَ يَتَوَضَّعُ بِالْمُدِّ So if that's the minimum that's narrated anywhere in the sunnah, that's the minimum he ever used, what's the maximum narrated anywhere in the sunnah that he used? Amud. Two hands together, fill them up this time. So instead of 100 mil, maybe 150 mil. Still at the bottom of the bottle. The maximum he ever used to make wudu with. A handful. Put your hands together, fill it up. 100 mil, 150 mil, whatever that's going to be there. That's the maximum he ever used. And the minimum, two thirds of a mut. And just to go along with that. How much water would the Prophet ﷺ use to make the ghusl with? 
a mud he could make wudu with. And remember, four muds, amdad, are a sa'ah, that's known as a sa'ah. So one mud he would make wudu with, one handful of water was enough to make wudu with. How many handfuls of water would the messenger require to make the full ghusl with? Eight, so two sa'ah. Anybody else? Half of that. Four handfuls of water. So basically this bottle then. This bottle, maybe a tiny bit more than this bottle, would be enough to make the full ghusl. Because again, the minimum, the purpose is that you have the water on every part of your body. Doesn't necessitate water flowing and flowing and flowing. The point is of ghusl, that water goes all over your body. So four handfuls, this bottle, 500, 600, whatever, this small amount would be enough to rub all around the body, get the water all over the body. And so now Islamically your ghusl has been done. You've done the water all around the body. You've cleansed the area, the private area, and then done the water everywhere else. And the messenger could do that in four handfuls of water. So the shaykh says, the point of purification is not plentiful water, water, water. Rather the point is getting that water onto the relevant body parts in wudu and all of the body parts in the ghusl. So as long as the water reaches all those areas, then that is sufficient. Something people always ask here as well is then, what if you're in the shower? How do you make wudu if you're in the shower? Firstly, is it even permissible to make wudu whilst you're in the shower or the bath, etc.? Is it permissible to make wudu like that? It is permissible. There is no, uh, uh, no, no prohibition to making wudu whilst you're naked. So a person in the shower will be naked, of course. And you're allowed to make wudu in that state. There is no prohibition against that. But then when you're in the shower and the water is flowing everywhere and you've made your intention for wudu, you still need to do what? Even though the water's gone on all of your wudu body parts, done. But you still need to do what? Make wudu. Make wudu meaning? So you have to run your hands over the areas. You can't just stand under the shower and the water goes everywhere on your face and your arms and your feet. It's gone on all the body parts. And then you open your mouth and it's all done. Technically, the water has gone to all of the wudu body parts. But they say, no, you make your intention and you must run your hand over the body parts of wudu. So in the shower, run your hand and the water's flowing on you. Run your hand over the face. Do your madmada istinshaq. Run your hand over the arms. Wipe the head. And then run your hand over the feet as well. To run your hands over the areas of the wudu with that water flowing down on you, no problem. But then you must run your hands over the areas for the wudu to be complete. Then after that, 
It mentions about the wiping on the head, a few points regarding the wiping of the head. عن المغيرة ابن شعبة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم توضأ فمسح بناصيته وعلى العمامة والخفين In this hadith then it mentions that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم did the wiping that he began from his hairline at the front of the head where the hairline starts, he started there. And the water wiping it from there. And nasiya is that area on the forehead at the top of the forehead where the hairline starts, that he would do the water from there onwards. But then in this hadith it mentions something else. That the Prophet would wipe on top of his turban. Wearing the turban wrapped around on the head. Uh, it's mentioned the Prophet ﷺ used to wear the turban wrapped on his head. And so it mentions in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ wiped on top of that turban. On top of the amama. Al amama ma yulafu ala ra's ala shakil akwar ba'wuha fawqa ba'a. Wa yuj'al laha dhu'abah min al khalf. So the turban, it's when you wrap it around and then the last piece of it comes out from the back like a tail. So it's mentioned the messenger had this on an occasion, he would wear this. And so it is mentioned that if you have that wrapped around and wrapping that around properly and tightly, it becomes fixed in that position and it is a difficulty. To remove it all, wipe your head and then to have to wrap it all in that particular way to get it to sit right again and on your head again. There's a a difficulty in doing so. And so it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, if he was wearing that type of turban wrapped around on his head, that he, and it's a turban that is being spoken about, not just a scarf on your head, not like this, wrapped around like a turban wrapped around and then the end of it comes out from the end, from the back. If he was wearing that, then it's mentioned that he would uh, simply wipe over the top of that turban. But there are some details to remember in doing so. إِنْ كَانَتِ الْعَمَامَةِ سَاتِرَةِ لِكُلِّ الرَّأْسِ فَإِنَّهُ يَكْفِ الْمَسْحَ عَلِيهَا If you are wearing a turban wrapped around all of your hair, a turban that wraps around all of your hair, all of your head, fully wrapped around, full turban all the way back to front, all the way wrapped up, then in that case when you're making wudu and you get to the wiping, it is permissible to simply wipe over the top of that turban. It's covering all of your head, just like the socks are covering all of your feet. It's covering all of your head, you can wipe over the top of it. If it is a properly tied up turban, not just a scarf or something loose or something properly tied onto your head, which is difficult to take off and retie again, then you can wipe over the top of it if it is covering all of your head. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ يَظْهَرْ بَعْضُ الرَّأْسِ 
فإنه يمسح على ما ظهر من الرأس ويكمل أو يكمل على العمامة If however you are wearing a turban that partially covers your head and other areas of your head are still visible Maybe the turban you put it back and the front of your hair is visible and the turban starts at the top. So in that case, if some parts of your head are visible and the turban is only covering the other areas, then you must make sure that you wipe on the visible areas and then on the rest of the turban. In that case, what's the difference? If the turban isn't covering all of your head, you cannot just wipe the turban. You must wipe the apparent areas as well, then onto the turban for the rest. But if the turban is covering all of your head, then just on the turban alone is sufficient. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned about this topic. That with regards to the turban on the head, there are three possible scenarios. أَنْ يَكُونَ الرَّأْسِ لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ عَمَامًا Either the first scenario is you're not wearing a turban. A person who is not wearing a turban, then the ruling when it comes to the wiping is very simply, wipe on your hair. If you're not wearing a turban, then wipe on your hair. You're wearing a hat or just a scarf, remove that and wipe on your head as usual. The second situation, if you're wearing a turban and it's covering all of your head, then you can just wipe on the turban. And the third situation, if you're wearing a turban that's covering part of your head, but other parts are still exposed, then you must wipe upon the exposed areas and then finish off on the turban that is covering the rest. فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى وُجُوبِ مَسْحِ الرَّأْسِ إِذَا كَانَ لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ عَمَامَةِ And so this indicates the obligation of wiping over the head if you do not have an amama, some type of turban wrapped onto the head. And that is, the point is, a turban that is wrapped around and there is difficulty in removing it. And with the sisters, it can sometimes apply to their head covering if they are out in a public place. If they are out in a public place making wudu somewhere, you are not expected, of course, to remove the head covering to wipe the head. Then you wipe on top of the head covering. And here with the men, with the amama, due to the difficulty of its removal and then retying it, it's permissible to leave it. If it is properly wrapped on, you can wipe over it. Then... So in the book it said, ثُمَّ يَقُولُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ وَيَغْسِلُ كَفَّيْهِ ثَلَاثًا ثُمَّ يَتَمَضْمَضُ وَيَسْتَنْشِقُ ثَلَاثًا بِثَلَاثِ غَرَفَاتٍ And that one we haven't discussed in detail. When you make the madhmada, are you supposed to get three separate cups of water and take them in? Three separate ones for the nose, three separate ones for the mouth. How is it done? There are some different explanations of the scholars that exist. 
Some of them say you get one handful for the mouth and the nose together. Then another handful for the mouth and the nose. Then another handful for the mouth and the nose. So you've used how many handfuls altogether? Three. Each one covers both the mouth and the nose. Into the mouth and the rest sucked up into the nose. Three times, three handfuls. There are some narrations though that highlight that the messenger may have done three washings of the mouth and the nose all with one handful or just two handfuls. So if it is one handful, you're taking a third of the water and then a third and then the last third. One handful doing it all. And if it's two handfuls, again, you portion out the water from two handfuls worth that you would be able to get three washings done. The opinion about a handful for the mouth and then a handful for the nose and then a handful for the mouth and then a handful for the nose and then a handful for the mouth and then a handful for the nose which is altogether then six that appears to be the weakest of the opinions the better opinion is one handful with the mouth and then the nose together another handful into the mouth and the rest into the nose together with one handful at a time so only three handfuls in total then you wash your face three times the face where is the face from where to where is considered the face so again they talk about this in the books of fiqh from top to bottom they say it's from the hairline downwards up to the chin or as they say the jawline up to the jawline from the hair all of that from top to bottom is your face and side to side where is the face from ear to ear so there are some small differences about this some of them say exactly from ear to ear others they say it's just a small gap away from the ear meaning when you have a beard from your beard line to your ear there's a small gap there your beard doesn't start right on your ear you have a small gap between your ear and the beard they say that part isn't the face some of the scholars they say your face starts from your beard line to your beard line meaning just off the ear to the uh, 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 rest of the face but others they say right from the ear onwards because the the word waj face in arabic comes from the verb that indicates to face something waj means to face something and so they say when you stand and look at someone all of the area of your face that can be seen straight on is considered part of your face so all of that from there down to here, the round area, all of that is then to be washed. And you cannot miss out any of that area when doing the washing of the face. Uh, here now the Shaykh he mentions when you're doing the face, we haven't spoken about the ears. 
So here he mentions when doing the face, or, or when uh, wiping the head, that you then insert your index fingers, the index fingers into the ears. The index fingers clean on the inside of the ears. And the thumbs, they clean the outside of the ears. The index fingers inside of the ears, the thumbs, the outside of the ears. فَيُدْخِلُ سَبَّاحَتَيْهِ فِي سِمَاخَيْ أُذُنَيْهِ وَيَمْسَحُ بِإِبْهَامَيْهِ ظَاهِرَهُمَا The index fingers into the ears, the thumb on the outsides of the ears. ثُمَّ يَغْسِلُ رِجْلَيْهِ مَعَ الْكَعْبَيْنِ ثَلَاثًا ثَلَاثًا and then washes his feet up to and including the ankles three times each. وَهَذَا أَكْمَلُ الْوُضُوءَ الَّذِي فَعَلَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And that is the most perfect method of the wudu that the Prophet ﷺ did. What is the obligation when it comes to wudu? The obligation is that every body part must be washed at least once. الْفَرْضُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ أَنْ يَغْسِلَ مَرَّةً وَاحِدًا وَأَنْ يُغْسَلْ مَرَّةً وَاحِدًا That all of the body parts must be washed at least once and the head of course wiped. Also, أَنْ يُرَتِّبَهَا عَلَى مَا ذَكَرَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Another obligation when making wudu is that you must do it in the order that Allah mentioned in the Quran. In the Quran, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah mentioned the order that you have to do wudu in. You must do it in that order. So in the Quran, it tells you the order, فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Number one in the ayah, wash your faces. Faces with the mouths and the nose. Then number two, وَأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Your arms up to and including your elbows. Number three, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ Wipe your heads. And number four, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ And your feet up to and including your ankles. That is the order you must make wudu in. Face, then arms, then wiping the head and then the feet. Within those ones, like we said, if a person did the left arm first, then the right, or the left foot first, then the right, then that wouldn't matter. Your wudu would be valid as long as you did this order overall in the correct manner. The third condition also, or from the obligations, أَلَّا يَفْصِلَ بَيْنَهَا بِفَاصِلٍ طَوِيلٍ عُرْفًا بِحَيْثْ لَا يَنْبَنِي بَعْضُهُ عَلَى بَعْضٍ وَكَذَا كُلُّ مَشْتَرَطَ لَهُ أَوْ مَشْتَرَطَتْ لَهُ الْمُوَالَاهِ The other obligation in wudu is المُوَالَاه As they say, that all of the body parts must be washed in cons- consecutively in a way that the previous that you don't leave so much time 
between one body part and the next that the previous body part dries up. So imagine now you're making wudu, you've done everything, face, arms, wiped, and then you have just the feet left to wash, and somebody knocks on your door. So then you go to answer the door, and take care of whatever it is, takes a few minutes, and then you come back upstairs and you think, just the feet, I have just the feet left. I was in the middle of wudu, I'd done everything, I had just the feet left. But now after a few minutes you've been down there, opened the door, the air came in, everything. When you go up there now, the previous body parts are basically dried up. You haven't used a towel or anything, just from that few moments, answering the door, etc. The body parts have dried up. So now when you come back, you cannot just wash the feet and say that's all that was left. You're now going to have to repeat. You can only maintain the order of the wudu in a time period whereby the previous body part is still wet. If it takes such a long time period between one part to the next that the previous part dries up, then that is incorrect now. You have not done the wudu consecutively. So that's what he says, Allah yafsila baynaha bifasilin tawilin urfan. That a person cannot uh, leave a gap between one body part to another, a gap that is considered as a long gap in the, the norms of the people. In the norms of the people, if something is considered a long gap, or in other books they say, whereby one body part dries up before you get to the next, or the previous one dries up before you get to the next, then in that case, your wudu has not been done consecutively. You've basically done some of it, then you've gone, and a big gap has occurred, and they've dried up, and now you've come back, you can't just do what was left. Now you're going to have to start again. But if you went down and answered the door, and he just gives you the parcel, you close the door, you come back upstairs again, it took five seconds, and everything is still wet, the water still wet, coming off you everywhere, you can just... Wash the feet and your wudu is consecutive. That's the section generally on the area of wudu. The next area that is going to start here, which will start the next time, inshallah ta'ala, is going to be regarding al-khuffain, al-mas' ala al-khuffain, wiping over the socks. Wiping over the socks and the rulings Regarding wiping over the socks, we'll begin with next time. <coughs> there are other narrations here, you'll find them in uh, some of the books of dua. That when a person finishes the wudu, you're supposed to make the dua. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika lah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. That if you make this dua after making your wudu, فُتِحَتْ لَهُ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ الثَّمَانِيَةِ Then all of the eight doors of paradise are opened up. يَدْخُلُ مِنْ أَيِّهَا شَاءَ A person can enter from whichever one he then wishes and pleases. That's where we'll conclude on then. We'll start with the chapter regarding wiping over the socks. And the fiqh that comes into that section, is it only leather socks or can it be normal socks? 
If it is normal socks, do they have to be thick ones or can it even be thin ones where you can see the skin through them? Can those socks have holes in them or must they be complete without any holes in them? Uh, must those socks be covering over and above the ankle or can they be those ankle socks? All of those types of uh, topics. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, we'll start with those from the next lesson in two weeks' time. We'll conclude upon that for today then. Any questions then? Um, I've seen some people, they finish the door, they make them a dry, they, they, they raise their, their one finger up while they make it. Is there any evidence for this? Raising the finger up when making the dua, there are general evidences that when you proclaim Tawheed, that you raise your finger. That the finger is raised upon the proclamation of Tawheed. And so of course this dua is the proclamation of Tawheed. And there's an opinion similar to that in the Tashahud. That you're only supposed to raise your finger when you get to the proclamation of Tawheed. And so that opinion exists generally. Generally about the raising of the finger upon the proclamation of Tawheed. But Allah alam if there's any specific evidence for after the wudu. But generally there are some evidences mentioned about that. All right, we do that one first then. So about the fingers running through the fingers and through the toes, that's done during the act of washing. It's not something that has to be done separately. You have the water now and you're rubbing it over your hands. Then within that process, you go through the fingers within the process. And in the feet as well, washing the feet. Within that process, you go through the toes. The point is to make sure that the water is getting everywhere. So that can be done during the process, that isn't an issue. The other thing was what about the tap water running? Yeah, so if you have a tap open and you're making wudu with the tap open and you're doing your arms, for example, the water's flowing. So now you're going to get your hand and that water which is flowing everywhere, you're going to rub it across your body part. It's not just that you put it under the tap and it all gets wet and then put the other one, it all gets wet. Rather, you should rub the hand across that area even if the water is coming and flowing from above. And then the question about the imam, you mentioned the imam. Um, I'm assuming is that kind of close to maybe like the Yemeni style. But then I'm just wondering like where is the link from the imam now to like most of the people in So the question is, how has it changed? 
fashion changes. <laughs> so that, that imama at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it is mentioned it was just the culture and the tradition of the people at that time there. And it is still the culture and the tradition of the people in various parts, in various countries, in various regions. In other regions now, it's not in that same way. And it's become looser in the way that they do it. But this is all from the tradition of the people. It's not directly a sunnah that you have to wear it in this way or wear it in that way. So those are cultures and norms. And they exist still, like you said, in certain areas, in certain countries. They still wear them wrapped up properly as turbans. And in other places, they don't. No, but even that, it's not a sunnah as such. In and of itself, it is not a sunnah that you have to wear an hamama or that you have to wear the types of garments the messenger used to wear exactly. Those in and of themselves are not sunnah. They can be a sunnah in a secondary way where sometimes a person could be rewarded if he makes the intention that I want to try and be like the messenger as he used to be and wear the, the types of garments he used to wear, or the turban, and those kinds of intentions, and doing those clothes in that way, could be rewarding. But in and of itself, it's not a sunnah anyway. So nobody can say, why are you wearing it like this, and why are you not wrapping it? There is no sunnah in and of itself to wrap it in the first place. People think those are sunnah actions, they are from the culture of the time. Hmm. Maybe a sunnah to cover your head, generally. Cover the head. Uh, oh. So is it a sunnah generally to cover your head? Again, it's a discussion can be had as to whether it is. That one, it's a bit easier. It's not as uh, broad as the cultural clothing. The concept of covering the head is perhaps a little closer and easier to define and prove than other things. But even that may not necessarily be proven that it's a sunnah in and of itself. So isn't there a narration that from the Salaf that uncovering the head is dishonorable? Dishonorable, those kinds of things, they exist within the cultures. So even to this day in Saudi Arabia and some Arab countries, it is still dishonorable to walk around without your head covered. It's still considered like that in certain countries within certain, you know, students of knowledge, for example, as a student of knowledge, for you to go to the lesson of one of the scholars without anything on your head would be considered dishonorable. For you, that would be considered, this is not good. Look, you've come to the class, not even anything covering your head. Still, it exists. But that is from the, the norms of the people, not necessarily as a sunnah. So in the norms of the salaf, it was, it existed about covering the head. And then you don't have to repeat your wudu until you hear something or smell something, until you become certain that the wudu has broken, you'll smell something or you hear something. If there's just doubts and whisperings, then you don't. So if you've uh, you got to the state of the, uh, wiping over the feet, and you wipe over the feet, and then you remember that mm -hmm. you need to take your socks off. That we'll get to next week, or in two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to do all those rulings. If you put your socks on, then you wipe on them, then you remember Hadni <coughs> made wudu the first time, or all those complications. In two weeks, inshallah, we'll go through all the fatawa about those things.
No, it doesn't have to be the amama exactly, but any type of headgear that requires, you know, some time and effort and a particular method to get it right onto the head, wrapped around properly, then it would be sufficient. Any type of that turban kind of gear. But uh, besides that, what else do you have in mind? It's basically going to be some version of a turban. Durag. Huh? Something called a durag. Durag? Huh? What? It's like the... On the afro. Some piece of cloth. On the afro, but that's a hat. Isn't it just a hat? No, no. You tie it. You tie it. Put it on top and you wrap it around. It's easier. Possibly, possibly. Is it the same method? As wipe the head, you have to just wipe it. over uh, the same way. Wipe over the same way. So, so you know the the dua. You mention that in the toilet, or do you have to leave the toilet? To avoid any of the issues, khurujam min al-khilaf, as they say, to avoid any issues, any problems. Once you finished wudu anyway, then there's no necessity for you to stand there and exit, exit and make a dua. Then you have no issue, no problem, no discussion to be opened up. Uh, we didn't get to the about the basmala at the beginning. In fact, wasn't that homework? The homework was to go and find out the fatawa about whether you can say bismillah at the beginning of wudu in the bathroom or not. Of course, the majority opinion is that you don't need to say it anyway, it's on your mustahab. But imagine you take the opinion, it's wajib. Did anybody do the homework? What's the fatawa? No, uh, yeah, there are some opinions, it's obligatory. But the question is, if you follow the opinion, it's obligatory, then do you do it in the bathroom? Are you allowed to say Bismillah in the bathroom, in the toilet there? That was the homework. Did anybody bring any fatwa? There are some scholars who say that. That you can do it under your breath. That you don't out loud in the toilet, Bismillah. But under your breath, quietly, to begin the wudu, because you are upon the opinion it's wajib, then you got to do it. So some of them do say khalas. In that case, under your breath, quietly, you can say it and do your wudu. What does that mean, under your breath? Just quietly, whispering, rather than loud. The wiping is the same. There's no differences in the wiping. How is she bring it back? Why not? I mean, it's a bit loose, but how uh, you take the head, the hands will go on, and then they will come back. I mean, is, is it impossible? It's a bit different. A bit different, you know, because it's loose. It's going to be a loose garment, but you're, you, you can do that in instances where it's not possible for them to remove it. If you're out in public, etc., you cannot remove it. So there are evidences highlighting you can do it over the top. The hair. The hair. The hair. Or uh, just a woman wiping on her hair. Uh, so in the ghusl section, there are some differences over what to do if the hair is plaited or braided. But if it's open, if the hair is open, then it is done with no real difference. The woman simply wipes from the top to the back of the neck and brings back. There is no other real difference. You know, with all of these topics, like the wiping one especially, 
There are a lot between the Shafi'is, the Malikis, about how many hairs you have to touch with the water, how much uh, finger space you have to touch with the water. There's a lot of those things that exist. But overall, overall, if a person was to wipe front to back and front, then with the majority of them, you've done the wiping. And when they have a bun, do they do over the bun or do they a woman? A bun, Allah alam. But uh, for the majority of the scholars, if you do the majority of the head, the Jumhur said the majority of the head covers your wiping. So even with that one, the majority will still be done. Uh, is it a sunnah to carry on up until your know, biceps? And so there's a hadith where Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, when he used to make wudu, instead of covering, uh, wiping, uh, washing his arms up to the elbows, he would go past the elbows up to here. Abu Huraira used to do that. Uh, whomsoever is able to extend that on the Day of Judgment where the brightness will appear on your wudu body parts. We mentioned that at the beginning. Abu Huraira said, so whoever can extend the area of brightness, then do so. So he would wipe further into his arm and his legs further up beyond the ankles. So is it sunnah to do that then to increase the area of brightness on that day the scholars they say no that they say the majority of them the correct opinion was the ijtihad of abu huraira the ijtihad of abu huraira but it's not evidenced anywhere in the sunnah of the prophet when he used to make wudu that any companion ever narrated the messenger going beyond those prescribed areas so they say that must have been an ijtihad of abu huraira regarding the hadith of the bright areas on the Day of Judgment. Can you follow that ijtihad? The scholars, they say no. Because how are you going to follow the ijtihad of a companion when the sunnah and the way of the messenger doesn't show that it happened? He made the ijtihad. No problem. But you have to stick to what's clear in the evidences. Anybody else? So you know that when you have a turban and there's the bits left, how do you wash that bit? Just wipe those areas. The, uh, that was the situation where you have a turban and some areas are exposed. The exposed areas you have to wipe on them and then the rest of it above the turban. It's not like the same method. Back and forth. Back and forth. You'll, you'll touch those areas anyway, probably, as you go through, if it's just the sides. you got to touch those areas. Allah, 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 Allah,
Anything else? No, if the mouth and the nose, you've just done them, they are wet, you just come back and wash the rest of your face and carry on. Majority opinion, the Jumhur, they say it is mustahab only. So it, it's a minority opinion that it's obligatory. So if you're upon that opinion that it's obligatory, then even within the ghusl you have to make a wudu. So then it would be the same under your breath, perhaps you could do that upon the fatwa. If you take the opinion that it is obligatory. But it's uh, not the Jumhur opinion in any case. Anybody else? Can you dry kudu afterwards once you're all wet with a towel? It's allowed. There are some narrations uh, mentioned about leaving it to uh, dry itself, but it's permissible, no problem. You can dry it, of course. depends on their level of access to narrations mostly. So it's known, for example, that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa had the least access to narrations with his own chains of narrations. And that's why there was a lot more qiyas involved and analogy involved in the Hanafi methodology compared to the Hanbalis and the Shafi'is and the Malikis who had a lot more access to narrations and a hadith. So the ones who had more chains of narration, more access, then they are going to have more than often a greater accuracy in their opinions because they have more narrations to go off. And the ones who had less narrations, less chains, then they are going to have less accuracy because they had to do more analogy to fill in those gaps. So yes, some of them may mention the likes of Imam Ahmed and Imam Malik, etc., having more correct opinions in more issues because they had more narrations and evidences to go off. Sir, you know the hadith about when you make wudu and the sink drops off. If you um, dry your, your the water, does it like holds that? This is what some of the scholars mention. And that's why they say leave it to uh, dry itself. But it's permissible to dry. It would not indicate an impermissibility for someone to dry the water after they finish the wudu. But then you may possibly miss out on a certain virtue. Anything else? So we conclude upon that. Go on, last question. So, where I work, they, they asked me to put an armband for the death of the queen. And I said, I'm not going to wear it. It would be like the, the ruling and something like that, someone, a non-Muslim dying. If a, a person dies, the condolences 
that are given to that person, there are rulings the scholars have mentioned, depending on who dies. If a Muslim dies and his people, his family are Muslim, then of course there's no question on that one. You go and give condolences to the Muslim family over the death of the Muslim relative. And you say to them, may Allah give you patience, etc. And may Allah forgive your deceased one. But what if you have a circumstance where the one who has died is a kafir, but his family were all Muslim? This is scenario number two now. Scenario one, the person died is Muslim, his family are Muslim. You go give them condolences, tell them to be patient, make dua for the deceased. And may Allah forgive him. But now the person who has died is a kafir. But his family are all Muslim. They all became Muslim. But this one member hadn't. So can you go give them condolences? The family are Muslim. So you can go give them condolences. May Allah make you patient, etc. But you cannot make dua for the deceased. May Allah forgive him. What if the deceased is Muslim and the family are all kafir? He had become Muslim, his family hadn't. The deceased is Muslim, but the family are all kuffar. Can you go give that family condolences? Uh, there's a difference, but most of the scholars say you can. You can go and give that kafir family condolences over the death of this Muslim. Tell the family generally, be patient, etc. No problem with that. Be patient, etc. And make dua for the deceased because he was Muslim. But then the only situation left is they're all kuffar. The one who has died is kafir and the people are kuffar. So here there's a difference between the scholars. Some of them they say it is allowed to give condolences if there is a maslaha. As Shaykh al-Ithaymin, he has this fatwa. If there is some maslaha, imagine in your neighborhood for example there's a kafir family and all the neighbors are Muslims and they realize that this kafir family, their ch child or someone died, it may be a maslaha for the Muslims to go give condolences to that kafir family to bring their hearts closer to Islam and to the Muslims that they think, look, all of our neighbors, Muslims, they treated us good and they came and gave us condolences. For maslaha, sometimes it may be allowed, as Shaykh al says. Other scholars, they don't agree necessarily. As Shaykh Fawzan says, no, kafir, kafir, how can you go give them condolences? But some of the scholars, and it is mentioned in the books, you can do it for a maslaha. Here though, it's, you know, it's a different, it's a very specific situation. This isn't just a kafir family or, or a member of, of the community. It's a different kind of situation, this whole national, worldwide situation of the queen dying and the condolences. It's not like you're going to go give the condolences to the family. Uh, condolences, it's as though the country wants to give them to the family. It's a bit of a different situation. So Allah Alam, if the fatwa of the scholars or the position of the scholars who say that it is sometimes allowed to go give the kafir family condolences over the death of one of their kafir members, uh, if there's a maslaha, I don't know if really this would come under maslaha like that, because even from amongst the kuffar, there will be those who couldn't care less. And they're not going to be doing anything. They don't going about their business as normal. Not everybody in this country is suddenly going to come to a stop. There are people who don't care about the monarchy. They don't care about any of these things. 
So Allah Alam, if it can be said about the mustaha and those fatwas in this specific situation, but generally in other scenarios it is allowed. Or it may be allowed, according to some scholars. The, the problem here is, if you don't do it, it might be seen as that disrespectful. Yeah. So, so they might say, okay, you Muslims, you disrespectful. This is a mushkila. If uh, in your company, if there are no other uh, kuffar, if there were some other kuffar who don't care about the monarchy and they say, no, we're not doing this and the institution and we don't believe in these things, then you have no problem. There are other people from the kuffar who are not doing it, they cannot pinpoint the Muslims. But if everybody does it, the whole company, everybody, all the kuffar are doing it, all the other Muslims are doing it, and then you have a few of the Muslims not doing it, it may cause you a problem. And then Allah Alam, I cannot say, but maybe, maybe the, the fatwa of some of the scholars about the maslaha maybe uh, could come into that scenario. Allah Alam. We'll have to leave it there. It's time for prayer. Inshallah Ta'ala, we'll continue in two weeks' time.